Welcome to Patchat on 2NURFM. Greg Richard here, joined by Dr. David Tabbert. Just the two of us today, David. I know. I'm feeling very uh, lonely on this side of the yep. desk, but here we are. And the studio's got all the Christmas lights up. It's a very Christmas spirity in oh, here, isn't it? Absolutely. If that's not getting you in the mood, I don't know what will. <laughs> <laughs> what have you got lined up for us today, David? Uh, well, we just talked about the weather, yep. and uh, there's some hot weather. Well, it's hot now, but hotter weather yeah, on the weekend. So, a quick few tips about that. Yep. But also, wanted to talk about an emerging disease that's being seen around the world in dogs, oh, a great. respiratory disease, and some updates for people about that one. Because we've got hot weather on the way this Friday, Saturday. I suppose we've got to start oh. working out how we're going to look after our pets as well and how they're going to deal with it. Absolutely. And, you know, we might go to the beach. We're going to drink yep. plenty of fluids. We're going to make sure we stay in air condition. And look, pretty much the same advice we, we need to apply to our pets. Yep. One of the things that I've been seeing, Greg, and even in this last week, I think it's it's warm, yep. no doubt. Uh, but I'm seeing people running their dogs and even in the middle yeah. of the day. Please don't do that. Do not do yep. that. That residual heat that builds up in their body stays with them for hours and hours and hours, and it starts to cook them from the inside. Now, when we have, that's with exercise and a hot day, but when we actually have these really hot days, as you said, Friday, Saturday coming up, just sitting around could be too hot for the dog. Okay. okay? Because they don't sweat, right? They pant and they need shade, they need plenty of fresh water, and some dogs are going to need to be wet down with a hose or we see those clamshell um, little kids' baths, pools. You can put some water in them, let the dogs jump in and put some ice cubes in them even. That's a good idea uh, to help them cool down as well. Wetting the dog will help the heat to escape, but importantly, as I mentioned, just limiting the exercise. Or if you are going to exercise your dog, and we were just talking about this off air, Get up early. The sun's up. Like yep. The sun's up at 5.30. You've got to get up and make sure you avoid the heat of the day um, because it just is too much for yeah. them. Yeah, you don't want to be doing like running on the beach at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Please do not do that. Yep. It's Well, I mean, it's not good for us either. Like yep. people will get sick from uh, heat exposure. So we see sunstroke. And what happens is as that body temperature goes up, we start to see effects, first of all, on the gut. So they'll often get uh, diarrhea and that progresses to bloody diarrhea. But then uh, the other organs start to be affected, okay? So their kidneys are affected, their blood vessels start to bleed, their blood clots all over the body, um, and then eventually it can lead to swelling in the brain. And, you know, that, don't have to tell you, that sounds pretty bad. It is bad. And I have seen dogs present with uh, severe heat stroke where we have to put them on a ventilator to help them breathe. Uh, I've had uh, plenty of dogs where we've done that have recovered, but it can be fairly traumatic yeah. and certainly plenty, unfortunately, that have not made it through an episode like that. So it's a very important day to be careful and I guess try and keep your dogs as cool as you possibly can. And Absolutely, obviously. yeah. And if you've, you know, the thing about coat length and so on is always up for debate. Um, Cheryl's not here to tell me I'm wrong about this. But <laughs> well, go, f- go straight ahead. <laughs> oh, I can tell you. But... Um, what I wanted to say about that is if if you're not out there exercising, you keep your pet maybe indoors with air conditioning, that'd be yep. great. But if you can't, just make sure they've got plenty of shade and um, plenty of fresh water, yep. cold water, and maybe uh, a tub to jump in okay. so they can cool down. Then, you know, they should be fine with that. Right. Or just, can you just chuck the hose on them? Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. Wet, wet them down all over. 
um, it's very important to make sure that if you're going to do that, they're wet down all over because yep. we that's called uh, convective heat or radiated heat that's coming off their body. And um, panting is evaporating the heat out of their body. They don't sweat except through the pads on their paws, um, whereas we sweat all over. Yep. And dogs will only get rid of heat basically through their um, panting, through yep. their mouth. So, uh, And that's why we see problems with some of the uh, brachycephalic dogs, the ones with pushed-in faces. And true for cats as well, by the way. We yep. see this as well. But um, those, those ones that have got those pushed-in faces – they actually have more trouble because the tissue in their throat swells to try and get rid of that heat. And, of course, that affects their breathing and makes it difficult for them to breathe. So they're trying to get rid of the heat, but then they're actually starting to occlude their airway. And they get this vicious cycle that they, actually, they will start breathing faster and faster. And that extra muscle energy starts to generate more heat internally, and then they're trying to get rid of it. So the brachycephalic dogs are the ones that are probably most at risk in those really hot days, but that goes for every every dog. And pets, like we see um, things, uh, other pets like rabbits and birds as well can similarly be um, heat affected when we're getting these extreme days of yeah. high temperatures. So just for birds and stuff, best idea maybe to bring them inside? On... Bring them inside, or a lot of people with bigger aviaries outside will have sprinkler systems, yep. you know, with the spray pipes oh, yeah. over them. Well, there's like little mister things. Yes, so, yeah. yeah. And that's uh, a re- probably the best way to keep those guys cool because you can't just hose them, Yeah, obviously. No. But... <laughs> just, no, I don't describe what I was thinking then. But, yeah. but um, if you do have uh, any other way of keeping them cool, do that. Yep. And don't, don't kind of second-guess yourself because, um, I, you know, from an emergency vet perspective, we're going to see the patients come in when they've had that exercise or when they've had not enough water, things like that. And I've seen dogs where they just simply went for a walk. They didn't have to go running. You know, it's five o'clock in the afternoon and people think, oh, it's a little bit cooler now and we'll yeah. take the dog for a walk. I've seen dogs coming with heat stroke yeah. in that circumstance. Well, I suppose then you've still got a lot of heat coming off the ground as well because everything's been heat, baking the yeah, sun. Yeah, absolutely. And they've got heat in their body as well over the course of the day. And all you're doing is just adding a few more joules of energy back yep. into their system. And if they can't get rid of it, you know, it's like filling a bathtub. If the if you can't drain the energy and the heat out of them fast enough, adding a bit more, you could overflow. And that's yep. when you could get into heat stroke. Right. Also with cats as well, I don't imagine cats are going to be easy to, to wet. No. Generally, cats are pretty good at uh, seeking shelter yep. and finding a place. But obviously, if you're lim- limiting their ability to get into a cool space, that could create problems. And again, with the brachycephalic cats, you know, the Persians and so on, some of those um, oriental breeds that have got the pushed-in face, we'll see those guys struggling as well. So just making sure they've got, again, fresh water and shelter. And a cool area, I guess. Cool area, yeah. Jan from Lochinvar, and she wants to know if she should remove the blankets from her horses because of this heat wave that's been forecast. Afternoon, Jan. Good afternoon, but they're not blankets, they're rip-stop sheets. Oh, okay, right. <laughs> rip-stop. Yes. Uh, is they're that... a lot lighter than a blanket. Oh, okay. So is that a particular brand, is it? or? Oh, it's a type of material. They're not supposed to rip. Oh, I see. Okay. You put them on a horse. <laughs> and is that to protect their coat generally, keep insects <laughs> off them or...? Keep the mozzies away, yeah. stop them getting sunburnt, blah, blah, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. 
I guess it depends on the actual material, um, but obviously That's we're talking type of material. Yeah, if it breathes and allows the heat to um, come off the body. So compared, we were talking about dogs, but I'm really glad that you rang in because it raises this thing about how do horses get rid of their heat, and of course they sweat, uh, oh, similar to people. Right. And so that means that that heat loss is occurring all over their body. So they're not panting to get rid of heat. They're sweating just like we do. And so to allow sweat to cool the body, it needs to evaporate off the skin, which means you need the, the sweat to form on the skin. And then you actually need a breeze or air moving over the skin to allow it to evaporate. And that is the, um, the key thing is, you know, removing these uh, sheets if they're actually otherwise impeding the movement of air over That's their coat. Right. Yeah. Um, often, well, last summer, I was wet, but um, they do sweat underneath these sheets, and I've just left them on. My husband used to say, if you're at work, they'd have to stay on. But yeah. now I'm not working. Do I take... Well, two of them haven't got them on at the moment, a black horse and a chestnut, and I just looked, they're out in the sun. Another dark bay, she's out in the sun, with her sheet on. Right. It's 29 degrees here with a beautiful sort of sea breeze. Yeah, that was the thing we were just discussing earlier off air is um, the breeze makes a big difference, doesn't it? And horses, as I said, like people, sweating, rely on the breeze to allow that cooling effect to take place. Um, in terms, obviously, the ones that are, don't have them on now I probably wouldn't be saying put them on before the heat wave. No. But uh, for the ones that have, have got them on, I think probably in those those really hot days, um, particularly in the hotter periods of the day, they could probably go take them off to allow them to. They will sweat underneath them, as you said, but mm. the problem is the sweat's just sitting there. That's right. And it's the cooling effect, isn't it? It's not just the fact that the sweat forms. It actually has to evaporate, and that's what cools them down. So... You really need to make sure that if if they do have something on them, that it's actually allowing the air to move across their skin. Um, one of the things that we see in horses, and it doesn't sound like your horses are anywhere in this field, uh, Jan, is that uh, we do see a problem, Greg, also with horses that don't sweat. And we see this from time to time. It's a real problem uh, when we're in hot, humid clim climates because yep. the horses will overheat dramatically. And it's called anhydrosis. Um, now, I will probably get it wrong. So I'm, actually, I won't guess which breed. Okay. But there are some breeds that are more prone to it. Having said that, it can occur in almost any breed. And yep. so uh, if you are out there and you've got a horse and they're a horse that sweats lightly or doesn't sweat much at all, it could actually have mm. this condition, anhydrosis and... Um, those horses are obviously going to be at risk, particularly on these exceptionally hot days, as we were saying, with dogs. So, uh, look, Jan, I, I think you're probably safest to remove them. Um, mm. Obviously, if they've got uh, face hoods to keep the flies and mozzies off their face, they, you know, those things can stay on. Um, right. Because uh, horses these just... These are get... European-bred horses too. Uh, what does that mean? They're not used um, to our insects? They, well... All of mine, their parents come from either Holland or Germany. So they're first generation. Oh, Australia. right. One's okay. a thoroughbred, so yeah. she's used to it. Um, I don't know that they excessively sweat, so that might be a problem. 
Yeah, well, obviously the other thing, like we were saying with dogs, you can hose horses down, um, oh, and no, it's a really good way. Not to, because it makes their skin boil, if you know what I mean. They are no. the heat then. No. Of, uh, dehydrating, uh, drying the, the sweat off, they just got hotter. But no, but that's... But right to do that? Yeah, because... What what we're referring to there is people are referring to oh that well, the water comes off and it's hot right yes but if you just think of it from energy movement and heat is energy we're taking the where does that heat in the water come from it comes from inside the body uh-huh. and we want to get it out of the body and so if there's water on their coat and it heats up and it comes off warm then you know that you've actually transferred that energy or the heat from inside the horse to the outside you're not going to chill them. Because in this weather, that's not going to happen. Um, but it is going to allow them to stay cool. And of course, racehorses get um, hosed down and things like that after they're exercising. Yes. So, yeah, you can spray them, and absolutely, it's not a bad idea. But oh. um, it just depends on how accessible your horses are, and particularly the other things like shade and so on, making sure they've got shade. Mm. Yes. So. But horses are pretty stupid. They're out there in the sun now. Oh, I was going to say they're really smart, but depends. <laughs> 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 Might be those European horses there. <laughs> Thanks, Jan. Okay, thank you very much. And good luck, hey, for Saturday. Thank you. Bye. All right, bye. It's Pet Chat on 2 RFM. If you've got a question, 49216216. I forgot to mention as well, David, we've got a giveaway this week as well. Have we? Yep. Did I win? No, no, you could. Oh, no, but, but, I don't think to, I'm you eligible. Have to, you have to run out, call in, and then come back in again. Oh, no. Okay, so we've got to give away for our callers. Uh, yeah, uh, Belgrade cleaning products, they are. So you can head to 2nurfm.com.au and check out the Pet Chat site for all the details there. So we're giving someone a giveaway for that stuff as well. One of the best callers, I think. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, if it wasn't just a good enough reason to ring in for Pet Chat to yeah, get some advice, exactly. now there's another reason. reason. We've got Peter now from Newcastle, and he's got an eight-week-old toy cavoodle. He's a little bit on the bitey side. <laughs> G'day, Peter. Hello, gentlemen. Hello there. How are you, gents? Yes, good, thanks. So you've got a little cavoodle. And he's as cute as hell, And um, but he's a little bite. We've only had him for just over a week. Yeah. Um, but he seems to be biting everything. Now, is that – I'm just ringing in to see, basically, is that normal, or is there things that we can do to stop it, or do we just see it through until he gets a bit more mature? It's normal, it's not appropriate, and we need to uh, train and work on addressing it, okay? Right. So it's normal because this is the way that dogs uh, will explore the world, okay? So they'll pick things up with their mouth. They've got, uh, obviously, taste buds. They're smelling things. They can get texture. They're also, um, you know, they've got new baby teeth and so on that are coming through. So all these reasons they're going to be uh, chewing on lots of things and possibly on humans. Um, so we want to um, address these behaviours. And it's a long-term thing. I'm not going to say, oh, you know, you'll get this fixed in three weeks or something. Um, but it is something that we often will see if they're not addressed at this early stage, you'll see problems later on, even without malice. So I just wanted to highlight this, is that because it is a normal behaviour, if we don't train our dogs and address it appropriately, then we will see this behaviour continue into adulthood. Right. Okay. So one of the things that um, obviously you want to have alternatives for them to chew and bite on. Yep. So what sort of things is uh, your little one chewing or biting on at the moment? 
us. He'll yes. sit on our laps and chew us, and then he's starting to grab the. Um, the we've got a couple of rugs down on the on the lounge for him um, to sit on the lounge, and he's starting to pull at those as well. Um, okay. Yeah. So, and he has got a couple of soft toys that he does love to chew on. So, and we yep. when once he starts, we've sort of been encouraging him to go back to the toys and chew on the toys. So. Yes. Um, we might keep the toys a bit closer, huh? Well, that's a really good idea, and that's you know where we're displacing or distracting them with a, a more appropriate chew surface rather than yourself. So it's one of the th- ways that we can address this, and I want to encourage, particularly with an eight-week-old, is speak to your uh, local vet about yeah. um, puppy preschool. Um, yeah, right. Because they'll want to get you to get your little toy cavoodle to come along do puppy preschool now. I've, I just did this. Uh, our pups are um, now fifteen months of age, and we took them to puppy preschool, and we had two litter mates. Please don't, for anyone out there, don't get litter mates. I was told. <laughs> Cheryl Shaw said to me, "Whatever you do, don't get litter mates." And what do you do? I got litter mates. <laughs> but what we did was we actually took, separated them, and took one to one puppy preschool, and then we went to a different one oh, with the other yeah. one. So double trouble. Mm. But what actually happened was twofold. One was it got them to mix with other dogs and it got the humans, us, we split up and one of us went to one puppy preschool and one went to the other. So we got the effect of two different training methods. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, right. Um, yeah. So you've only got one dog, so that's fine. But um, yeah. I'm just saying it's absolutely vital for a young pup and introducing them to a human household because yep. in part of the whole thing with puppy preschool, apart from learning about health and apart from, you know, how you can pre- prevent disease or look after them food-wise, etc., parasite control, all of that, and that socialisation that I was talking about, you also learn a bit about how to prevent biting behaviour. And yeah, so right. usually that's going to be, like you mentioned about the soft toys, that's a displacement. We get them to chew on that instead of you. Um Generally, what we'll tend to do with uh, dogs that are biting on people is, um, and I'm only really going off what I learned in puppy preschool, okay, is we have a big reaction, which is, oh, you know, really yelp yourself. And the, it kind of stops the dog and they go, oh, what did I do? And then we, um, because then they've stopped biting, see? And then we get them to do something. It might be now sit and then they get a treat. So they're not getting the treat for biting. They're getting it because they stopped doing that and they did something else. And then the other thing we use is some time-out behaviour as well because dogs just want to be with people. They want to be with their pack, you know, the tribe. Um, And so time-out behaviour can be really useful. But you can't just do that in exclusion. Otherwise, you'll create other behaviour problems. So my best advice is get along to puppy preschool and um, I think you'll find... That's going to give you the best chance to address this behaviour. Great advice. Thanks very much. Thanks, Peter. Cheers. We've got Paul from Cardiff. Now, he's got a seven-month-old Springer Spaniel and wants to know how often he should be feeding his dog. G'day, Paul. G'day, David. Um, good, good to have you join us. Thank you. The uh, little problem I've got is I don't know whether I'm overfeeding yeah. or underfeeding. Uh, he's, at the moment, he's, he's seven months old. He's growing quite well. He's been desexed and everything, you know. Like he's uh, yep. he's now about fifteen and a half kilos and stands oh, above your knee. So he's uh, he's growing pretty quick for a, a seven months old. Now he gets fed morning 
uh, and night and a snack in between. Is that too much? So there's a couple of ways to answer this. And Springer Spangles, I haven't seen too many for quite a while. Used to see them a bit more back in the 90s, but I have have noticed a few starting to show up around the place. So they're certainly a breed that are starting to see a bit of a comeback. Um, the quick answer for this is um, if you look at a bag of commercial dog food, and I'm just yep. going to use that because it's probably more at hand than anything else, on the side of the bag or on the back panel, there will be calculations, okay? Yep. And they're usually worked out as a daily amount. So yep. kind of like a daily dose of food based on calories and then the calories are divided by the um, density of the food, the energy density of the food. And these are some of the variables that come into this uh, answer. So if you look at those, it might actually say one and a half cups or three, well, for a 15 kilo dog, it's probably going to be more like two and a half cups a day or two cups a day, maybe yep. something like that. And as I said, that depends on that food. So if yep. you're using different food, then you have to go back and say, well, what's the calorie density of the food to be able to work out the amount? Because yeah, if well, you just put... using dry food like you're suggesting? Yeah. Yeah, so if you have a look, most of them on the on the actual bag should have a feeding guide, and it, it definitely is a guide. It's not a, a rule, but it's a good place to start. So once you do that, it, as I said, it's usually measured out as a daily amount, and then whether it's once a day or twice a day um, is often based on their age, and my general advice is probably up to about 12 months of age that you feed them uh, twice a day. And so at seven months, obviously, we're going to go twice a day, morning and night, and we just divide the daily amount in two, okay? And now the question is, do you, if you're adding another snack, um, yeah, you can do that, but we do have to be careful that the snack doesn't become another meal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's a piece of dried chicken or turkey or something like that, just a dried piece of yeah. commercial grade Dog food, you know, like yep. I think they one of those, yeah, yeah, dried jerky strap yeah, kind of things. Yeah. yeah, so most of the time that's going to be fine for, particularly for that size of dog. They're fairly energetic. They're growing. Oh, yeah, they are. Know, that. I don't think you're going to be overfeeding them on that kind of schedule. If you were going to another avenue and trying to, you know, cook food and make it all up, it gets a bit more problematic because we do have to make sure we're meeting not just their calorie needs but also things like the calcium-phosphorus ratio, the amount of protein they're getting and um, fibre and s certain essential minerals. So sticking with that high-quality commercial food and following the feeding guidelines, as I said, twice a day, just make sure you're dividing the amount up. And okay. a snack in the middle of the day is not going to be a problem. Okay. The other thing is bikes fruit. Is that okay? When I say fruit... Bananas, oranges, apples, anything like that he'll have. Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, he's mad about bananas. He'd eat a whole banana if you'd give it to him. No problem with bananas. Um, some fruit we do have to be a little bit careful about. So things like uh, grapes, anything in that grape family, we don't want yeah. to touch. Okay? okay, so that includes sultanas, raisins, and so on, the dried, right. dried grapes, but um, fresh whole grapes, of course. We don't want to touch. Now, we're probably going to get a flood of callers who say, oh, I've been feeding my dog grapes forever. 
One of the problems we have with grapes, we identified a toxin in them. Uh, earlier this year, we've known about this toxin for probably decades, but we have only just identified the actual compound um, called tartaric acid, and it can cause an idiosyncratic reaction in dogs, uh, which brings on kidney failure. Idiosyncratic means we can't predict it, and we don't know the actual amount. Like it just seems to be an individual individual reaction, but the risk is pretty high, and it's a pretty um, terrible way to find out. And it's just as easy to avoid grapes. So that's one. Uh, the other one is apple core. So if they yep. eat apple seeds or any fruit seeds that are inside the fruit. So for instance, seeds on strawberries are on the outside. They're not a problem, but seeds on the inside, we've got to be a little bit careful and try to avoid because they contain cyanide, which is highly toxic. And I doubt that you're going to feed him avocado. That can be a problem. Macadamias are toxic to dogs and cause neurological behaviours, but I know we're getting away from fruit generally. So apart from grapes and probably apple cores, the rest of it you're okay with. Thank you very much for your help and your time, Dave. No worries. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Bye. It's Pet Chat on to when you are FM. We've got time for one more call. We've got Jennifer from Fletcher. Now, she's got a four-year-old dog who's been kind of making a bit of a habit of, of I guess, relieving itself on its indoor blind. On her indoor blind, I should say. Hi, Jennifer. This is not a good thing. No, I know it's not a good thing. <laughs> How long has this been going on for? Well, I've um, since I moved. Well, I moved into a new place, and yes. so that's been about two and a half years. And he, I think, he pretty much peed on it. Probably, I don't know, a couple of months after I was there, and yeah, he just continues to. On it, I've got to. When I go to work, I sort of lift the blind up and put it on a chair. But I forgot the other day, and I got home, and there's sure enough, oh, we all over it and we on the floor, and yeah. So, what sort of dog do you have, Jennifer? He's a pugalier. Pugalier, and just the one yeah. animal? No, I've got another one. I've got another uh, Sharpay too. Oh, okay. So the Sharpay's behaviour not a problem. Oh, she's lovely, yeah. Okay. So the pugalier is a male, um, is that correct? Yes, yes. And is he de-sexed? Yes. Okay. Well, that's that was going to be my big saving grace was saying if he wasn't, we're going to get him oh. de-sexed. But, oh, okay. Okay. It's interesting that you said, like, it's been since you moved, um, given the time frame, um, that... He's been doing that. Is there any problems with him getting outside? I'm just going to trying to get a sense of like, you know, how often and when yeah. this. You said when you're out, but is yeah. he? He's got plenty of access to outside or a toilet pad or something. Yep, yep. You can get outside easily. Okay. Got doggy, doggy door. And the blind is where? Is it like in a lounge room or a bedroom or? It's a, it's on the back door. Oh, it's on the back door. Yeah, it's like one of those. Um, Oh, it's got five flaps and you sort of open it yep. up, you know, and it sort of all bunches up sort of thing. Yeah, okay. They all lay behind each other. A um, couple of things. Make sure, you, first of all, you want to get some of that neutralising cleaner solution, okay? Mm -hmm. Don't use ammonia or bleach-based uh, solutions because they leave a nitrogen 
smell behind, even if you can't smell it, the dog can, but you can actually get uh, neutralizing cleaning solutions. So you can often find them at um, a pet store. The uh, second thing is to look at getting um, some thing called uh, dog appeasing pheromone or DAP, Adaptil. Yep. Yep. I just remembered its name, Adaptil. Now, the reason yep. I'm saying that is that it actually helps to reduce some stress in the household. And even though, you know, we're not kind of seeing that otherwise, this habit, yep. this behavior could be a stress response. Um, oh, okay. There are other reasons that this habit can also be happening, but I just wanted to at least try and treat the things that we know we can treat relatively okay. easily. So neutralizing solution, it has the added advantage, apart from cleaning up obviously, is that yeah. it, we're breaking that attachment because oftentimes it's that odour that is attaching yeah. the dog to that space. And yeah. so if you're using that, it tends to, they, they kind of go, oh, I used to pee around here somewhere, but I can't yeah. remember where, I might as well just go outside. Um, yeah. The adaptal helps to reduce stress, and I would be looking at any other behaviours that are related that seem a bit odd, because those things could also be part of this complex of behaviour. The urination is just inappropriate urination is just one part of it. So just making sure there's no other behaviours, um, and then otherwise we just want to make sure there's plenty of opportunity to get to the toilet and. You mentioned about raising the blind. If you're reducing the access to it, that is also going to help to imprint a new behaviour. Oh, um, okay. So, you know, shifting behaviour is difficult, no doubt, but it's just mm -hmm. consistency and repetition, consistency and repetition. And if you do those other things about also the odour control and the um, adaptil, you'll probably find you can shift his behaviour to go urinating outside. Um, make sure he goes out obviously first thing in the morning last thing at night and plenty yeah. of opportunity otherwise particularly if you're not there and yeah. um, fingers crossed and apart from that I think speaking to your local vet about okay. other behaviours that could also be part of this complex okay alright right. thanks very much Dave. no worries thank thanks you. Jennifer Wait, geez. Jennifer, thank you Patch it on to NURFM David Tabret, we're nearly out of time so, yes. just almost a minute and a half left of the wrapping up, but do you want to announce the winner first? Or oh, yes, our the, giveaway. The, I think we should actually give it to Jennifer. If, it's, it's cleaning up products, so. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> well, considering as though she's cleaning up urine. She's saved, waited two and a half years for this moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's, well called, I Jennifer. Think she, I think she's probably been trying the dogs to, to wee so she gets the cleaning products. Yeah, I, I don't think the, <laughs> no. uh, re, the reward's worth that. <laughs> um, but a great prize nonetheless. And, um, yeah, thanks for the call. Yeah, and, and Greg, this is uh, my last show for oh. 2023 um, because we've still got two weeks of uh, pet chat. I think it's one more week. Later, one more actually. week. Yeah. Oh, yes, I've lost track. Mm. One more week. And so I'm just signing out for this year. It's been a great year. And also sharing the microphone with uh, Dr. Kimberly Earl and Dr. Fiona Nixon has been fantastic to have their expertise because they know a lot more stuff than I do, <laughs> especially about little animals and behaviour. and the, the, the small stuff. <laughs> small stuff, yeah. <laughs> well, Dr. David Tarrant, thank you for coming, coming in this year as well and look forward to catching you again. Next yes. Year, in yes. twenty twenty four. Can you believe that? I know. How old are we? Oh, feeling young. That's what I. That's what I reckon. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'll, I'll say that as well. I'm feeling young. <laughs> I'm feeling chipper. <laughs> feeling bright. Dr. David Tabert, thank you very no much for Pet Chat on Two and You RFM one hundred three point seven.
Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.